Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I, and sometimes Kelly, are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know some love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whichever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the recap. This is July 17th episode. And this week we finished up Joshua and Psalms and started Acts and then kept going in Jeremiah. So there's a lot happening this week. I'm so excited to be in Acts, you know. I, yes, I didn't realize we were moving into that next. I wasn't paying attention. I felt like there were all of these things that I had just had a conversation with you about. I feel like I remember talking about Acts with you the last time we read it, or maybe one of us read it. I had started to do an inductive study of Acts after I finished Matthew. We were doing the Matthew podcast, but I was studying Acts at the time. So that Mm -hmm. was just a really fun, it was really fun. It actually kind of makes me sad now reading it without the gospel to go with it. There was at least one or two times where I was flipping back through the gospels to find an example of something that. Oh, really? I hope you can mm -hmm. remember where they were. I can't wait. I know I have at least one. So the treasure that I found in Acts, and we'll just jump to it because it's it's not really related to any major lesson, but if you go to Acts, go to Acts chapter 1, verse 20. Mm-hmm. Is no. this the quote from the Old Testament, from Psalms? No, actually, it's oh. right before that. It says, okay. he's talking about um, Judas, and he says, everybody in Jerusalem knows this by now. They call the place Murder Meadow. Is that what yours says, Murder Meadow? No, that I think that's his hekeldama is the Greek word, I guess, and it's field of blood. Okay, I'll idea, go back but... to Jeremiah 7.33 because I'm curious what yours says. Because mine in Jeremiah 7.33, we just read it this week, says, he's talking about how they're going to be judged. All the perversion in 30 through 31, he says, they've constructed topeth altars for burning babies in prominent places all through the valley of Ben-Hinnom. Altars of burning their sons and daughters alive in the fire, a shocking perversion of all that I am and all that I command. He says, but soon, very soon, God's decree, the names Topeth and Ben-Heman will no longer be used. They'll call the place that it is Murder Meadow. The mine is Valley of Slaughter, which makes me want to know if it's exactly the same place. Yeah. In Jerusalem. I don't know. This is in Judah, in Jeremiah, right? Yeah. Ben-Hinnom Valley. A valley south of Jerusalem. And that's where so, the priests bought that area. Well, so it's interesting because in Acts, it says that Judas bought that farm and killed himself on it. But in Matthew, it says that the priests actually took the blood money. That, so Judas actually throws back the money into mm-hmm. the priests. And the priests were like, well, we can't use it because it's blood money, which is hilarious. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> Right, because they recognize <laughs> they, they're the one that Right. They pay, they gave the money to it. And so then they buy this field that's called, well, according to Eugene Peterson, Murder Meadow. Yeah, Murder Meadow. There. All right, let's go, let's start in Joshua. I can't believe we're done with Joshua already. That seemed like it went really fast. I, I guess know. I'm used to being in like the really long Deuteronomies. When I started reading Joshua this week, I was still kind of reading it out of relationship 
to the story of Ruth. It wasn't until I got to chapter 23 and chapter 24 when Joshua calls all of them together and he goes over the law again Mm -hmm. that I was like, wait, Rahab is in this group of people. And then I thought, wait, if Rahab is Boaz's mom, then the equivalent generation, even though the generate, because Boaz would have have been probably significantly older than Ruth, like the generations don't match up completely, Mm -hmm. but uh, Rahab's generation then would have been Elimelech and uh, Naomi. So kind of like looking at it in this, like they kind of would have been contemporaries in that same, yeah, Ruth, Boaz, the next generation would be Rahab, Naomi, yeah, Naomi and Elimelech. And again, not that those ages would have lined up because Boaz would have been significantly older than Ruth and he mm-hmm. might have actually been more close more to- More like Elimelech, Elimelech. Naomi's age. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's hard. It, it's almost impossible to know exactly. But thinking about that in terms of like, we're like right in that, they're in the middle of the story of Joshua, even if they come just a little bit afterward. This is not old news mm-hmm. that's happening here in Joshua. This is, they're in the midst of it, you know? Mm-hmm. At some point. And so anyway, when I got to chapter 16, they're talking about these people that they're taking over, but then some of them get to live among them. And at the end of chapter 16, it says, but they didn't get rid of the Canaanites who were living in Gezir. Canaanites are still living among the people of Ephraim, but they are made to do forced labor. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me wonder whether some of those servants of Boaz's would have been some of those people. Do you know what I mean? Whether, oh. But I also was thinking of it in terms of I should cut all of us out because I was confused because as I was reading like the Ephrathites, they, they were Ephrathites. Mm-hmm. I was reading in terms of Ephraimites, Ephraim, right? Right. So, it's different. Which are two different things. Yeah. But this has been a really good like week of just remembering <laughs> that I am a co-learner with all of our people. You know, like I feel like I'm learning so much right beside oh, yeah. all of these people that we're going with. And I'm, it can be hard to remember that. Like you feel mm-hmm. like you kind of have to be an expert. Then you're like, no, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm figuring real- it out too. I'm realizing all the questions that I don't even think to ask. That's what I love about our dive studies is that I'm going into the study with all of these people who are just filling in the gaps of my own thought process and my own study. Yeah. You know what I mean? And some of them that know, like I, I might know more than some people, but some people know more than me, you know, mm-hmm. and that like, when you say, I don't even know what questions to ask, it didn't even occur to me to ask, is Ephrathite the same as Ephraimite? Until somebody mm-hmm. says, you know, an Ephrathite is, child of Ephrath, which was, there's a woman in, mm-hmm. in that lineage. And the role of women in Ruth is phenomenal in and of yeah. itself. Anyway, this was, I was kind of going through this and I've been thinking how closely this time is to Ruth and Boaz, which mm-hmm. I think is really fascinating. And honestly, it, in some ways it more solidifies some of my interpretations than anything else. Like when yep. that, that question of, were they supposed to be in Moab? It's answered right there. It's right. the end of Joshua. He's like, do not, not go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't go and live among these people because you'll take on these gods and definitely don't intermarry. Don't marry, yep. Among them, which is exactly what Elimelech's sons did. And that, again, they're in that time period. It's not old news. It's not a law that they heard long ago. This is a right. law that was just given to them within their generation. Within their generation, yeah. Yeah. Chapter 22 I was totally sucked into the story of chapter 22, which is where. Tell us about it because I don't even know. I don't know what's happening. Chapter 22 is the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh are going home after conquering everything on the east of the Jordan, right? So they're going back home. And before they go, Joshua basically reminds them, love the Lord your God, obey him, be loyal, yada, yada, yada. 
He blesses them. Oh my gosh, yes. I know exactly what you're talking about now. Yes. He blesses them and they go on their way and decide to build an altar on the banks of the Jordan. So they built this. I see myself in guided room and like. (laughs) Yes, you are very much like them. So, (laughs) So they come to the Jordan. They built, it says they built a large, impressive altar. So they build this ginormous, like monstrous thing on the side of the river. Well, meanwhile, all of the other Israelites, all the other tribes, they hear about this. And in verse 12, I'm sure they can see it on the other side of the Jordan. Probably, yeah. W-T. Yes. Heck. (laughs) (laughs) So when the Israelites hear this, the entire Israelite community assembled at Shiloh to go to war against them. So I'm just like reading. And then I see that line and I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. What is happening? Like they, they just helped fight with them to conquer all their land and they're going home and now they're Have they, about to yeah. attack their own people. Like what is happening here? Yeah. So the, it wow. totally caught me off guard, off guard. I was about to be so disappointed. I was like, really? Yes. Like that's how fast they, they no way. They, I know me no too. Way. I yeah. was totally like, this is not about to happen. And I kept like racking my brain. Like, I don't remember this part of the story. Like, <laughs> I don't, I just don't remember this happening. Well, then you keep reading and you find out that the other, the rest of the Israelite community, they go and they confront the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh. And they're like, um, what's the deal with this giant altar? Because they're not supposed to be sacrificing there. They're supposed to be sacrificing at Shiloh, right? I think that's where they're supposed to be. And so the rest of Israel assumes the worst of the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, that they're now building an altar for another god, right? Isn't that what happens? And they're like... I was just trying to check the Shiloh. Yeah, so they're like... I think, I think that's their, because their whole issue is like, this is not where you're supposed to be sacrificing. Verse 16, what is this treachery you've committed today against the God of Israel by turning away from the Lord and building an altar for yourselves so that you are in rebellion of the Lord? And they basically are like, don't you remember the plague? Like, we're still dealing with it. How could you do this? Which is really kind of ironic that Israel is asking Israel, like, don't you remember? <laughs> Why are you turning away? Yeah. Israel yes. as a whole does that over and over and over again. Yes. And so I think it's interesting that they're asking them the question that they should ask themselves. Mm-hmm. So then the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh are like, wait a second. The they God of gods is God. The God yeah, of gods like is God. They exclaim it like, no, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> yeah. we're, still, we're still on the same side. <laughs> and so then they explain. I loved the wording. In verse 24, it says, we, they basically say, we're going to tell you this and God's going to hold us accountable if we're lying. We did not intend to ever burn sacrifices on this. And if we're lying, God's going to basically smite us. And I have all the feelings. I feel like I could recognize that moment where you're like, no, 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 no. That's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. Yeah. And they say, we actually did this from a specific concern that in the future, your descendants might say to our descendants, what relationship do you have with the Lord, God of Israel? Because they're on the other side. Yeah. So the Gadites, Reubenites, and half-tribe Manasseh did this on purpose so yes. that they wouldn't have to deal with this problem later on down the road of they the other, the rest forget. of the tribes of Israel, exactly, accusing mm-hmm. them of not actually being part of them, but that it's actually to be a witness. Not even like, it was an altar to the Lord, but the whole purpose of it was it to be a witness between those two groups of Israel so that they would remember that mm-hmm. they're all on the same side and they all worship the same God. Verse 34, what they named the altar, it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. So it's basically 
the opposite of what the other Israelites thought that it was. It's the exact yeah. opposite of that. Mine's um, it's a witness between us. God alone is God. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's it. I love the wording in mine because it, it's so current. Yes. In 24. But that's not it. We did it because we cared. Yeah. <laughs> we were anxious lest someday your children should say to our children, you're not connected with God, the God of Israel. God made the Jordan a boundary between us and you. You Reubenites and Gadites have no part in God. And then your children might cause our children to quit mm -hmm. worshiping God. So we said to ourselves, let's do something. Let's build an altar, but not for the whole burnt offerings, not for sacrifices. We built this altar as a witness between us and you and our children coming after us, a witness to the altar where we worship God in his sacred dwelling with our whole burnt offerings and our sacrifices and our peace offerings. We yeah. go on with that longer explanation, but yes. Oh my gosh. Gad and Reuben just over and over again. I'm like, there I am. There, there I am. That, that's me. <laughs> something that looks so wrong. And unless somebody asks me what the heck I'm doing. <laughs> no, no, no. Let me explain. <laughs> oh. yeah, that was, I think, my favorite chapter in Joshua this week. Just I'm so, so glad you remember entertaining. that. I totally forgot about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so good. I also love, so two times, right at the end of 21 and then in the middle of Joshua's farewell address basically mm -hmm. it's the same phrase verse 20 verse 45 of chapter 21 says none of the good promises the lord had made to the house of israel failed everything was fulfilled which Aww. is just a really cool like wrap up but then mm -hmm. he says he that phrase good promises he uses again in 23 14 Joshua says, I'm going the way of the whole earth and you know, with all your heart and all your soul that none of the good promises the Lord your God made to you has failed. Everything was fulfilled for you. Not one promise has failed. I just I like, like that, that reminder. I guess thinking about that too, in light of the Israelites reminding their people, how could you turn it away so quickly? Right, exactly. I mean, it's kind of heartbreaking in a sense because we know what happens and we know they don't stay following God, but and how quickly it happens. Right, yeah. right. So in chapter 24, going back to kind of connecting to what you're saying, but then what we're reading in Jeremiah and what we're reading in Ruth about how quickly it happens, it says in verses 19 through 20, then Joshua told the people, you can't do it. You're not able to worship God. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He won't up with your fooling around and sinning. I circled this when, when you leave God <laughs> and take up the worship of foreign gods, He'll turn right around and come down on you hard. He'll put an end to you. And after all the good he has done for you. And I was like, Elimelech, that's Elimelech, yeah. right? Yep. He came down hard on them. And then Jeremiah, that's all Jeremiah. They've turned from him completely. And he's like, this is the covenant that I made with you. You will obey. And when you don't obey, yep. I will come down hard on you. And that's exactly what's about to happen. And he's basically saying like, I have been patient. I am still fulfilling everything that I'm going to fulfill. There's a penalty for not being right. obedient. And here it, right. here it comes. Incoming. God's <laughs> promise, God's promise for like protection and blessing is for his people. Yes. That are following him. Yeah. And exactly. that's what, and again, like that's what we're reading in Ruth, Boaz being sort of an illustration of God's love for us, mm -hmm. the protection and the provision for us. It's like, you stay within my boundaries. You stay within what, where, where I tell you to be and I can protect you. I will keep you. But if you choose to go outside of that, he has no, well, yeah. right. And there's no, that you're outside the covenant. So there's yes. no, like, this is about God honoring his covenants and keeping his promises. And when you're not, when you're outside of that, basically right. the promise is death right. <laughs> outside of that. 
Yeah. I thought it was interesting in 23, Joshua calls them to action a lot. He says, starting in verse six, I'm not, I'm just going to read the phrases that stuck out to me. Be very strong, continue obeying, be loyal to the Lord, your God, diligently watch yourselves, love the Lord, your God. He's a warrior, right? Joshua's a warrior. And so he understands that idea of an enemy kind of being able to sneak up on you and needing to be on guard and just how, I mean, he recognized how fickle people and the Israelites were. And just those reminders to actively take part in that covenant that God had made with them. Yes. Yes. Actively take part in the covenant. I love that. That's great phrasing. That's great phrasing. It's such a, such a both. And like I was reading this and I'm thinking of your, yes, yes. that's what I was thinking. And, And it is like, God does the work and yet we don't get to just sit back. It's just like Paul. He's like, does grace enable me to just go on sinning? Of course not. That's not the purpose of grace. God's keeping his covenant is what should motivate us to this action. Yes, It's all because of what he's already doing and has promised to do and Yes. done and will do. And the freedom comes from when we are actively pursuing that our part in the covenant, we will stumble and we don't have to, there's no condemnation. Mm -hmm. There's no, we just get back. We make a quick step back into step with the spirit. It's not, that's the freedom. The freedom is that we will make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And when we make mistakes in repentance, there is forgiveness and there is redemption. Yeah. Yeah. He takes our broken pieces. He takes the consequences of our sin and he, them, he makes them his glory in the hearts of those who are surrendered to him. Mm-hmm. Every time, every time. He's amazing. We spent a lot of time in Joshua. So I honestly yeah. mostly skip, skip through. Um, I think so. I think we'll mostly yeah. skip through Psalms. Psalms. Jeremiah is... Jeremiah is a lot more... Um, you get a lot more of Jeremiah... Yes, you do get a lot of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 11 is where I was getting that. I circled the word obey. Obedience is mm-hmm. just, like, this is where it's, it was really emphasized. That I yeah, think over and over. So much. Yeah, obedience. I've called you to preach the people of Judah and citizens of Jerusalem. Tell them this. This is God's message, the message of Israel's God to you. Anyone who does not keep the terms of this covenant is cursed. The terms are clear. I made them plain to your ancestors when I delivered them from Egypt out of the iron furnace of suffering. Obey what I tell you. Do exactly what I command you. Your obedience will close the deal. You'll be mine and I'll be yours. This will provide the conditions in which I will be able to do what I promised your ancestors to give them a fertile and lush land. And as you know, that's what I did. All those next paragraphs, obedience and obey are, or disobey and breaking the covenant are all in there. And um, I think that's the main message I took from Jeremiah this week is I've called you to obedience. You have far outdone yourselves in the worship of Baal and leaving me completely and calling on your stick gods. And you haven't shown up. You haven't actively participated in this Mm -hmm. covenant and so I'll fulfill the covenant and right. part of the covenant is the curse for disobedience. Yeah. So, right. Even that is God still keeping his promise. Yeah. One of the things I liked in Jeremiah this week was at the beginning of chapter 12, when Jeremiah basically like confronts God, complains mm-hmm. to God. And he says, right at the beginning, he says, you will be righteous Lord, even if I bring a case against you yet, I wish to contend with you, with you. I just love how Jeremiah is like, I do have some questions. 
Right. Like I get it, God. I know that you understand what I do not understand and that you are righteous, but I, let's talk. <laughs> like, do I you still, just love the questions too? It Why made do me think of people Joe. have it so good? Why do right. you yes. make it big? You planted them and they put down roots. They flourish and produce. Like he's like, Why I get this? it. Yes. I get it. You're righteous. And I get that everything you do is right. But I, but I mean, this doesn't that's make sense a big me. question. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And they're cool. And the questions are right and good. And mm-hmm. it's, and they're to God, his God is his audience. So there's righteousness mm-hmm. in that. I'm taking this up with you. Mm-hmm. And in the end of God's response, he's basically saying they, they haven't kept my covenant and there will be destruction. But in verse 15, I thought of this a second ago when I said that God's judgment is part of him keeping his covenant. Mm-hmm. And this is another one of those contradictory things. Yes. He's full of judgment and full of mercy and compassion. And in verse 15, it. it says, after I have uprooted them, I will once again have compassion on them and return each one to yes. his inheritance and to his land. If they learn the ways of my people, swear by my name, then they will be built up among my people. Anyway, I just love that. <sighs> the, the both and that doesn't make sense in my in and even minds, still you know? even at the end of that though i love it and then if they will if they right. will get serious about living my way and pray to me as well as they taught my people to pray to that god fail everything right. will go well for them however if they will not obey then i will uproot and destroy them yeah it's we're just a fickle people we go back and forth and back and forth with him and it's his like that constant story writing that he's doing that's revealing mm-hmm. more and more of his goodness to those who surrender to him. I mean, I just think of Naomi though. That's how I think of her is that surrendered. Okay. God, uncle, I'm, I'm coming back. Yeah. When she's crying uncle. Yeah. Yeah. You were right. I'm coming back. I just, Mm -hmm. I love that. A lot of times that's what causes us to come back is the Mm -hmm. consequences of being outside of the parameters that he's given us break us and we turn back and he redeems us and he mm-hmm. restores us and he provides for us. And it's just an ongoing ebb and flow of that. It almost feels like all of God's story is an ebb and flow of oh, yeah. obedience, disobedience, brokenness and restoration. When you mentioned the ebb and flow, like how you were talking just now about how, I mean, that's life, right? It's that constant back and forth of mm-hmm. straying and coming back. God is so patient and kind and full of compassion to still be compassionate after generations and generations and generations of humanity recognizing, oh, right, (laughs) we should go back. And then doing it all over again, it's kind of mind-blowing Yes, that he still has compassion. And after all of this, the cross was part of his plan all along. And he didn't throw in the towel on it that he was like, I'm still going to give, I'm still going to give him Jesus. Not even just the, um, you know me. I mean, this is right. I know this is where we, right. You know, like, because it's like the cross is like, that's the, the threshold. Like we literally crossed the threshold at the cross. And now we have the Holy spirit poured out and access. The Holy spirit is constantly there. So that sometimes I look at this stuff, I think, even when I fall into disobedience, I feel like because of the Holy Spirit and only because of the Holy Spirit in, in me, has it kept me from straying. I don't feel like mm-hmm. I've ever completely strayed. He does. He's there to remind us. And it's a quick step back into, into a walk with him. You know what I mean? It's never mm-hmm. like we, we have that spirit inside of us, always calling Abba Father, always calling back to him, always drawing us back to him. That is such a gift. Yeah. Such a gift. Such a gift. 
Okay. So for Acts, we know that the book of Acts, it's written by Luke. He's following up on his gospel and he's kind of picking up where Jesus has appeared to them and he's ascended into heaven. And he talks about the angel and he stands there. This is what I love. The angel comes to them and he says, why are you looking at the sky? This very Jesus who was taken up from among you to heaven will come as certainly and mysteriously as he left that promise that mm-hmm. you saw the flesh and blood rise up into heaven like that flesh that very same jesus is coming back as mysteriously and as certainly as he left i can't even imagine what that must have been like to be standing there and go okay oh. cool all right so <laughs> we'll, we'll wait for that, for that. yeah <laughs> exactly. but so what i love in acts a question that i had was what it would have been like when Peter healed that lame man at the gate. Yeah. When he heals the lame man at the gate. So Peter, the Holy spirit is poured out on them at Pentecost. Oh my gosh. I'm going to finish this thought, but I want to go back to the fact that it's Pentecost because that's a whole nother can of worms. I feel like I know what you're going to say. Well, I don't even, I don't, I think we'll have to talk about it together, but he heals the guy at, at the gate and it starts this like insane, uproar in the city and i can only imagine of course there's an insane uproar in the city because everybody's going jesus is gone but it's still happening i can only imagine just the the thrill that it's not over you know what i mean like yeah jesus on the cross and been like okay and then he goes up to heaven and they're like all right well that was cool while it lasted and then this man is healed that's been lame since birth right was he the one that was yeah i think so yeah, and his, then his feet and ankles were not working. Yeah, I think he'd been lame since birth. Yeah, and like just imagine though that like oh, it's not done. There's more. I just think about that and think, oh, yeah, how exciting that like must that have before. been for the people mm-hmm. that like the story continues. Well, and for the disciples too, like oh, for yeah. the people watching, and for the disciples to be like wait a second like (laughs) that's what jesus did when he was here and i just did that same thing yes and then the other thing that he says um in chapter one when he says when they were together for the last time they asked master are you going to restore the kingdom to israel now is this the time and he says you don't get to know the time timing is the father's business what you'll get is the holy spirit where is that? That's in verses seven through eight in chapter one. You don't get to know the time. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be able to be my witnesses. Like you'll be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all yeah. of Judea and Samaria and even the ends of the world. I love that wording because I didn't. So my Bible says it's not for you to know the times the father has set but you will receive power. The but didn't say an out to me, uh-huh. but that's what it's like. You don't get to know this, but you do get this. I just didn't read yes. it that way. I like that wording. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's even like what you're getting is so much better than just yeah. getting to know the time. What you're going to get is a, a life full of excitement where you get to be yeah. my witnesses of my power and my goodness to the ends of the world. And that's who we are. Mm-hmm. I get to be his witness to the ends of the earth. Okay, so Pentecost, this is the meat of theology that I love. I have a very small understanding of, but the amount of understanding that I have still brings me so much joy and brings so much richness to my faith. So 
when you think about being in the Old Testament, we know what pass the significance of Passover, that there's this lamb that has to be slaughtered and they have to stay inside. And the blood of the lamb is what keeps them safe from the last plague of the first killing of the firstborn. And that's like not even scratching the surface of the depth of the significance of the Passover. But Jesus right. then is crucified on the Passover or the day before the Passover, right. like whatever Around it is. Passover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jesus is crucified at that holiday. And so um, that's significant because he is that Passover lamb and it's his blood Mm -hmm. that saves us from death. And he's the firstborn of God, right? So he's, that's Mm -hmm. significant because it was the plague was the firstborn of all of that nation was supposed to die. In this case, he's that firstborn of God that takes on that death for us. That's his sacrifice. Again, not scratching the surface of the depth of the theology there, but then we're at Pentecost and Pentecost is significant because it, Pentecost is another holiday of the Jewish people. That was the celebration of the harvest, right? It's the yes. first fruits where they celebrate of, the first fruits of the harvest. It's the feast of weeks. Yeah. I, I love that. They call it that super helpful feast of weeks. Yeah. So Ruth, it's the same thing. Like we were talking about how they read Ruth at Pentecost, Yes. which, and it was connected to Pentecost, but Pentecost would be, Oh my gosh, that makes so much more sense. It is first fruits, I think. It would make more sense that they would read it at first fruits, read Ruth at Pentecost, since it was the beginning of the harvest. And Pentecost, so it's like a month and a half after Easter, right? Not quite two months. After Passover, I think it's, this is what I say, when I say like, I have such a small understanding of it. Right. But even my small understanding of it is enough to give me enough depth that it's 50 God, days, 50 days. Penta. Shavuot is 50. And Shavuot is, I think, the first day of the Feast of Weeks, which is when they read Ruth, which is Pentecost. Okay. That's where the Shavuot is when they read Ruth, which is Pentecost, which is 50 days after the Passover. Okay. Which is Shavuot being first fruits would have been like the beginning yes. of the harvest. So at the very beginning of the harvest, they celebrate that God is provide like that God is providing for them again. So they've planted and God grows the seeds and then they celebrate first fruits at Pentecost. So anyway, when you look at this story and you look at Jesus being crucified on Passover, only God. Mm-hmm. Only God writes a story was, like this. He was the lamb. Yeah. Yeah. This is not an accident. How can you look at this and go? <laughs> This is, these are, it just these are so celebrations. Happened. Yeah. These are celebrations that were set up thousands of years ago. Like these are the, these are the days of the celebrations that have been orchestrated and planned by God. We were instructed by him exactly when to celebrate them. And now on Pentecost, this celebration that they have, we have the very first fruits of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit pours out the first fruits of Jesus's sacrifice in giving us the Holy Spirit 50 days after Passover. I mean, my brain breaks when I think about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's the first fruits and now we're still like, we're in the harvest. Like we're still in this harvest season. It's the very beginning of the harvest. It's mm-hmm. the This particular Pentecost is the beginning of the harvest, which I just think is phenomenal when you think about the fact that like we're, we're still in that harvest. We're reading the story of Ruth that's read at the beginning of the harvest because at the end of chapter one, that's when yep. like, they've been in famine for mm-hmm. a long period of time. And it says at the end of chapter one, it's the beginning of the harvest, which would have been like the beginning of the harvest for Ruth too, in her, her choosing to be faithful to Israel's God. Anywho, 
It's significant. It's way more significant than I think as a, a new believer for many, many years, I just thought of Pentecost to me was the day that Jesus poured out his right. Holy Spirit. That's right. what Pentecost was. But it but was something not, before that. It was something. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very significant <laughs> for yes. thousands of years. It has a whole different meaning to the Jewish people yeah. than it has to us. It's not the day that Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit to the, to the Jews. We have talked way more than I expected to talk. I know. This week. Okay. Two things that stuck out to me in Acts. Okay. In chapter two, verse 23, this is another like brain breaking concept that we've talked about in Ruth, like that God's sovereignty and his our free will. Yes. And how he, in his sovereign plan, uses our sinful choices. Ah, like, and it all works together somehow. So in verse 23, so he's talking about Jesus. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. Oh my gosh. <laughs> somehow like Peter understood exactly That's how that worked together. Exactly what I thought when I read that. I was like, Peter totally gets Peter it. Peter got it. Yeah. And probably Peter, because Jesus I don't get it. Probably told him. Yeah. I was like, that sentence sums it And he off. has no problem with it. He's like, yeah, yeah it makes perfect yeah. sense to totally me. Totally matter of fact. Yeah. Yeah. And now like, I love having the chosen sort of in the back of my brain. Mm-hmm. Because now I have like this picture of Peter and every time he puts slides in one of those and you nailed him to a cross, like he does it like three or four times in these four chapters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just love. The one you killed on the cross by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one you killed on the mm-hmm. cross, the one God raised from the dead by means of his name, this man stands before you healthy and whole. Jesus is the stone the Masons threw out, who, which is now the cornerstone. Salvation comes no other way. And I love, I love that after that, the Sadducees and Pharisees go back and they think, what, what are we going to do? And well, we're just going to threaten them and tell them not to say anything. Mm-hmm. And they come out and do that. And Peter's like, as for us, there's no question. We can't keep quiet about what we've seen and heard. Mm-hmm. And then they like threaten them some more. Yeah. And then let them go. Cause they can't and then let them go. Can. Cause there's something they can do. Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing that actually led me back to the Gospels was the scene where the leadership, they're facing the Jewish leadership. Mm-hmm. In v- chapter four, verse eight, it says, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, and then like does this whole thing. And then in verse 13, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And it made me think of all those times in the Gospels where Jesus is like, don't worry what you're going to say, because the spirit is going to give you the words right when you need them. Yes. Clear evidence of the fact yes. that that was the spirit. I mean, of course it says that he was filled with the Holy spirit, but that it was recognized by other people too. Who are these guys? Yes. They, sh- they shouldn't know how to speak like this. I loved that. I also, for the first time, read the Acts chapter two Pentecost scene for the first time. With like that God kind of like redeemed and undid what he did in Babylon. Wait, Babel? I'm sorry. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Babel. Yeah. Babel. Yeah. He like uses. With the languages. Yeah. Yeah. He changes their languages so that they can't try to be like yep. him, you know? And then here he changes their languages to cause unity so that they can be more like him. Like it's mm-hmm. just a, the contrast. Again, storytelling, every connection mm-hmm. and every little like piece he's thought out and made it so perfected. Yeah. Redeemed restored.
If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth dive studies where we model our process of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org under the studies tab. And we will see you next week.